we are now in early 2024. It's been nine years since that prayer. There have been more moments to doubt that than I would care to admit. I've had every reason to doubt that answer to prayer. What I have been holding on to is that when God speaks to me and I believe it, then I don't forget it and I don't give that up. I am loyal to God. I am loyal when he blesses me with a revelation like that. I believe that we are all able to receive personal revelation. And if I believe that God exists and I believe that he speaks to me, which I do, and I believe that that was an answer to prayer, to sincere prayer, and wasn't just a lark, then I have to hold true to that. And so that's what I've been holding on to all this time, is that either I believe that he speaks to me or he doesn't. I'm Adira Polite, and this is Then God Moved. up hey awesome poster behind you oh thanks yeah i still need to hang it up so it's just sitting there on the floor looks cool that's almost surreal because the last time we spoke you'd released the short film and we're in the process of raising funds for the future film which is now out it's all full circle you're the first person also i should say to return to the podcast you're the first person to come twice indeed well what a privilege thank you for inviting me back of course i'm super stoked i I'm also personally invested because I was an early investor in the feature film. (laughs) So listeners can see my name in the credits, which is awesome. Very excited. Hashtag humble brag. (laughs) Very excited about that. Yeah, I mean, that's great. It's an amazing project. I told you when we first spoke. I mean, it speaks to me, obviously, as a Christian, personally, there's so much about it that is in my mind like almost one big metaphor for the reality of spiritual warfare which in the west Mm -hmm. we often don't speak of like in the west it's kind of yeah but like is satan really involved in this realm like is he really manipulating us and i feel that the writing does such a great job of exposing the tactics of the enemy and how the links that the darkness the realm of darkness goes to to keep christians from fulfilling the call in their life so very, very excited. I know when we first spoke, we talked a lot about your personal testimony. Yeah. Listeners should definitely go back and listen to that. We talked about his father's murder and his decision to forgive. And not really decision, but call just a kind of natural journey toward forgiveness of the men who killed his father. On this episode, I wanted to speak more about your professional journey and what it's been like since the last time we talked. Honestly, I'm very curious about what, if any, which I'm sure there is some spiritual warfare you dealt with in the production of this film. Yeah, sure. Yeah, let's get into it. Okay, cool. So for the listeners, I am here with Brock Heasley. He is the director and screenwriter of the recently released feature film, The Shift. I've had trouble finding showtimes. I'm in Atlanta, so I was like very kind of cocky. I was like, I'm going to be able to easily see it. However, I do know that it is now available to Angel Guild members online. So Angel Studios, I'm sure many of us are familiar now because of The Chosen. Angel Studios is hosting the film on its platform. It's also where early investors were able to invest in the film. And if you're a member of the Angel Guild, you can watch it online. Will it be made available to the full public? 
It actually is right now. You can also watch it on YouTube and Google Play. And it should, by the end of this week, which I I don't know when everybody's hearing this, but the end of this week is tomorrow, uh, it'll hit uh, Amazon, Apple, and also Vudu. So um, it'll be available to everybody um, probably by the time you know, they're listening to this. And then, of course, we're also taking pre-orders right now for our DVD and Blu-ray, if that's more your speed. Got it. All right. Reaching all audiences, all ages, all technology yeah. types. Love that. Love that. So can you maybe break down for us a little bit of the plot? Tell us about Kevin, your protagonist, and what the main problems are. Yeah. So Kevin is kind of an ordinary guy. You know, he's not perfect. He's struggling in his marriage. He's struggling with his job and he's struggling with who he is as a person. And it's at a pretty low point that a man introduces himself to Kevin and the man calls himself the benefactor. And the benefactor is there to offer Kevin a way out of the difficult things in his life. And he basically conducts kind of a job interview with Kevin. And he explains that the multiverse is real and that because the multiverse is real, he can give Kevin anything that he wants, set him up on any world with anything he wants. All Kevin has to do is uh, what, what the benefactor calls the fun stuff which is uh which is the the not so nice stuff to kind of spread misery and chaos mm-hmm. um and so the movie is largely about what happens when kevin rejects that offer and and the struggle that, that he goes through and he ends up um, trapped on a tyrannical parallel earth uh, where he is now fighting to get back to his world to his wife to the woman that he loves um, and that's really what the movie's about. And and of course, it sounds like every other Christian movie. I but we're trying to do something. Uh, that's a joke. We're trying to do something new, obviously. And uh, you know, one of my favorite genres is science fiction. And the shift is obviously uh, dealing with science fiction. But what's so great about science fiction? What's so great about genre in general is that it acts. It allows you to access metaphors and allegories and bring in audiences in a different way into principles and truths and the things that that, that you're concerned about, at least that, that I'm concerned about as a as a person of faith and as a writer. So I think I think if people uh, if they get into the shift and they aren't quite sure what's going on at first, that's the point. Mm. Let it let it happen. And uh, and I think you're going to be in for a good ride by the end, especially if you're a person of faith, you're going to find your faith affirmed. And if you're not, you know, it's just a fun ride. Yeah. I love that. And I love that it is obviously there's an evangelistic kind of bend, but it's not preachy by any means. Like you are telling a story that's a story as old as time. And I think to the Christian, the bit of the benefactor saying, you can have all of this if you will just participate in my economy and do things the way that I want them done, which is destruction. Should sound familiar, should sound like Jesus in the wilderness. I wonder to the non-believer how they will make sense of that because it sounds familiar sounds obviously like satan tempting jesus but at the same time to me now especially as we're nearing election season and we have the new cycle and all these things if i were not a christian i think i would still be able to make sense of that and see in our world that same dynamic of you can have these things you can have these promises you can have some sort of satisfaction if you'll partake in the world's way of doing things. Have you had any conversations with non-Christians about how they've interpreted the film? Yeah, I have. And and the shift does have quite a few non-Christian fans and, and, and even people who are not Christian and who are not believers in anything who participated in the making of the film. One of our actors, uh, John Billingsley, plays a character of Russo. 
he's very open about his atheism, but he was attracted to this story because of the way that, that the material was handled and that he, he felt like it wasn't pushing people like him off to one side, that there was enough there for him to grab onto. And I, and I think the reason for that is, is because of the way the benefactor was written. Um, obviously, you, you are correct in relating him to Jesus's temptation in the wilderness, you know, Satan speaking with Jesus and tempting him. And, and there is an element of that, very blatantly so, in the film. But in writing the benefactor and writing our Satan character, essentially, I really, I really wanted to write him in a different way. I wanted him to be different from any other depiction we've ever seen of that character. And I think we accomplished that goal pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, in thinking about my own battles with mm-hmm. temptation, my own battles with kind of those negative voices, I actually realized that often Satan takes the form of negative voices in our head. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I, I know, I know for me, it, it's, it's two things. It's do this and I'll give you all these wonderful things. And also you're not worthy of any other thing. Mm. You're not worthy of, you know, grabbing on to the blessings and gifts of God because of who you are. But I don't, I don't care who you are. I'll just give you these things. If you mm. just do these horrible things that you really kind of want to do anyway, right, you right. know, that's kind of the, that's kind of what the benefactor is saying. Mm-hmm. And so in that sense, what he's talking about are things that, that all of us are familiar with. We're all familiar with those temptations to just, you know, kind of give in to our wants and our desires and, and, and kind of give into this idea that, you know, we're not really worthy of anything else anyway. Right. So we may as well. Mm-hmm. And that, that, that gets into me, that gets into territory. Now we're talking about depression. Now we're talking about anxiety. Now we're talking about, you know, feelings of worthiness. And, and that's something that everybody can identify with. Right. And so I have especially been moved by people who have come to me and said, you know, I recognize what he's saying, because those are the, those are the things that I hear, yeah. you know, from people around me or myself. And they're recognizing that um, particularly people who I think who deal with depression are really going to key in on something with this film. I, I think that there's enough of a of a human experience in the expression of what I believe are spiritual principles mm-hmm. that uh, that that people can come into this film from any direction and they're going to find something that speaks to them. How do you discern or distinguish, I guess, between Satan's voice and that negative self-talk, like the, the thoughts of the mm-hmm. flesh? Do you see it as one and the same? Or do you see it as like the enemy influencing your thoughts? I kind of do see it as one and the same. You know, part of how the shift kind of started as a as a thought in my head as far as a story was I started, I asked myself a very simple question that there is not an answer to, which is how does Satan tempt us? Mm-hmm. Like how what is the actual mechanism? I'm not I'm not talking about like what are temptations. I'm talking about like how are those temptations delivered to us? Mm-hmm. Can he enter our mind? Can he enter our thoughts? I don't actually believe he can. So how does he do that? And, and I don't really know the answer. And so the shift kind of proposes one idea, which is ridiculous in science fiction, which mm-hmm. is there's multiverses and he can move us between them and tempt us with different realities and things that we want. But I don't, I don't really know how he does that. I, I just know that when I am having those thoughts, I recognize those thoughts as, as messages that he would agree with. You know, and messages that 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 do bring me further away from Christ. And so I think of those thoughts in some ways, this is kind of an extreme term, but you could term those thoughts as satanic in nature. Yeah. And where exactly they come from, whether or not it's just me or whether it's, you know, um, 
the 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 natural man that's within all of us that that is just prompting that and and whether it's him and how he prompts those thoughts i i really don't know but um so i i guess i guess to answer your question very succinctly yes i i guess i think of it all as as the same until i understand it better okay okay why was it important that he be motivated by his love for a woman well i think we're all motivated by love. You know, when you think about the Ten Commandments and you think about how Christ summed them up so beautifully in the New Testament, you know, and he basically said, you know, he was asked the question, what is the greatest commandment? And uh, he said, well, basically the greatest commandment is to, is to love God. And the second, the second is the same. It's love, love everybody else. Um, and the Ten Commandments, if you break them down, they fall into, each commandment falls into one of those two categories. It's either prompting us to love God or it's prompting us to love our fellow person. And I saw the shift as a love story. And there's the obvious love story, which is a love story between Kevin and his wife. But there's another love story happening. Um, and that 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 if you think about it, it's it's very there, it's very much there, which is the love story between this man, Kevin, and God. You know, it's it's mm -hmm. Kevin trying to not just make his way back to Molly. But make his way back to God, and mm. it's God trying to reach Kevin through the means that that He uses, and it takes a while for Kevin to mm. figure out where God is and how God is loving him. And so I see, you know, for me, kind of the point of of embedding this love story between this man and and, and his wife into this movie was to parallel what I saw as the overarching story of the love between Kevin and God. Mm. Super interesting. Where did you get the inspiration for even just dialogue between husband and wife? Did you pull from your own life? A little bit, yeah. There's there's things in there. Actually, it's funny because the things that are the most true to to discussions that my wife and I have had, those have actually been cut from the film. <laughs> <laughs> the most realistic dialogue was cut from the film. But yeah, their dynamic is not too dissimilar to to my wife and I. Now we've been married for 23 years, and we. And Kevin and Molly, you know, they 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 do handle things a little bit differently than than my wife and I have, and my wife and I have stuck together very much, and and Kevin and Molly technically do too. But it was very much a case of taking our relationship and then and then kind of imagining, well, what if it went a little bit more south? Right. That's kind of it's kind of where their relationship came from. Okay, tell me about the world building. Fascinated by this, I know there's been a little bit of controversy. Christians are like, wait, parallel universes? Like, what is yeah. this? Which I love that. I love that you're pushing Christians and their understanding of how Christian stories should be told. Like, can we experiment with the truth a little bit and keep the truth, capital T, keep the gospel as the gospel? But can we manipulate reality a little bit? How did you decide, okay, we need parallel universes? Well, I mean, first of all, I'm not the first Christian storyteller to do that, am I? I mean, we have the Chronicles of Narnia, which, right. what is that if not a story of a parallel world? Um, and for some reason, and, and look, C.S. Lewis, he, if you go back, he did get a little bit of flack for that. You know, mm -hmm. now we consider the Narnia books as part of the, you know, the canon of yeah. accepted literature. And, right. and we don't even think about, hey, you know, in, in that, um, in those books, um, Jesus is a talking lion. <laughs> <laughs> like if you if you don't have a problem with that, I'm I'm not really sure where the objection to what I'm doing is coming from. But look, it's new and it's it's different. And anytime you do that, then then it does take a little bit of time. Definitely, there's there's been a little bit of controversy. There's been a little bit of an objection to introducing parallel universes. You know, the the common objection is is parallel universes aren't real. You know, that's anti-biblical. I, I don't 
I don't understand exactly where they're missing it because um, the shift is not a documentary. It's 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 specifically a, a work of fiction. Mm-hmm. I think people, when they get a little too literalistic, they forget what the function of fiction actually is. Mm-hmm. The function of fiction is to be fictional. It's not intended to be true, and it's not being presented as true. I'm not proposing that parallel universes are real. I have absolutely no idea. But I find it really interesting as a concept, as a storyteller. Mm-hmm. I find it interesting when I think about how choice is so important to our faith. The idea that we have to choose to follow Christ and that no one can force us not to, nor can anybody force us to do that. That mm-hmm. free will is so embedded in what we understand as, as, as part of our faith and as part of our experience here in the world. So how can I not be attracted to the idea of parallel universes? How can I not be attracted to this idea that our choices, um, that, that they can be represented in, in a multitude of ways in other realities and that we can explore that and that our choices have this consequence where it creates a different reality, where we did take a different path. Who among us hasn't wondered about that? I mean, and, and this isn't a crazy concept. This isn't crazy what I'm doing. It's just different and it's new and it's it's a little bit more obviously sci-fi. It's not fantasy. I mean, it's, it's weird. We seem to accept fantasy more. Like yeah. we accept Narnia, we accept It's a Wonderful Life, which are arguably more fantasy. I'm going more science fiction, mm-hmm. but it's all the same thing. It's all it's all just extrapolating, you know, ideas and stories from you know outlandish things, and then trying to communicate some truths within that. Right. Um, and and I, my experience has been is uh, the vast majority of people they watch the film and they absolutely understand what I'm doing, and that was kind of the point of doing science fiction and why the benefactor has a device that he uses in order to do things. Some, one of the other criticisms I get is that is that he's too powerful, and it's like, what are you talking about? He's he has to, he's dependent upon a device on mm. his wrist. You take that away, what has he got? He's got nothing. Mm. He's no more powerful than Iron Man. You know, with without a suit, he can't do much. Mm. What I'm trying to say to people is, is look, I'm not proposing a new theology here. Yeah. I'm not proposing that any of this is real. I'm trying to specifically tell you that it's not. That's yeah. why it's science fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the objections are very interesting, but but look that. That tends to be from like the extreme, what I think of as the extreme end of of Christianity and people who just are very literal and and who to 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 give them a little bit of of um grace. give them a little bit of grace, you know, I think that they have been getting a certain kind of film that deals with faith for a very for long sure. time. For sure. And uh and, you know, this isn't a movie about a sports team coming from behind. This right isn't now. a movie about somebody experiencing some incredible miracle and then, you know, suddenly changing from an atheist to a, to, mm-hmm. a, to a Christian overnight. That's the other thing is that when you're fed kind of the same type of story over and over again, you start to think in your mind, well, this is what it has to look like mm-hmm. in order for it to be Christian, in mm-hmm. order for it to be acceptable. And what I'm saying with this film, and what I would argue that a lot of other filmmakers are saying right now, is that no, 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 you've got it all wrong. That is how it looked for a time. That is how these movies were presented. We can do differently than that. In my opinion, we can do better. But at the very least, we can do differently. We can reach other people by telling stories in a different way. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think think time is going to be kind to the shift. I think right now we're we're kind of trying to, you know, look to a degree. The, the film is trying to educate people and say, look, there is another way that we can we can tell the, our stories. Or mm-hmm. There really is another way. And it's just as legitimate as every other way you've seen. Absolutely. I want to come back to that. I'm going to put a pin on that because I think when we first spoke, I was like dreaming of making a short film, had not yet begun. 
we're like midway in that now, I guess. We're casting and it's just mm -hmm. congrats. That's awesome. Thank you. The the pushback, both like just like the difficulty of casting a Christian film. And I don't want to disparage anyone, but honestly, like and I'm in Atlanta, which is a huge hub for yeah, faith based and Second non -faith -based. Hollywood. Totally. But uh, I mean the difficulty financially and trying to find talent with a small budget and like all that, we'll get into that later. But yeah. I think it's interesting that people are critiquing the fact that the Satan figure has quote too much power because that's so interesting to me with the device and everything. It's like he has, but so much authority, the real Satan has, but so much mm -hmm. authority, but he has a significant amount of power. And what I think is so important, what you're talking about with free will, he has, but so much power in this world and the amount of power he has in our own life is dependent on how much power we give him, which we see and that's exactly film. right it's like mm -hmm. if you come into agreement with satan whether intentionally or not if you come into agreement with satan he has a ton of power in your mm -hmm. life that's a that's a crazy theology that <laughs> satan and you do hear christians say that and it's well-meaning to say like satan doesn't have his, like that much power and it's like well of course if, if you're aligned with god and you're keenly aware of his presence and keenly aware of his tactics and you're yeah. coming against him and you're putting on the armor of god every day of course satan only has but so much power Without spoiling too much, how do you reconcile Satan's power and God's sovereignty and the promised mm -hmm. victory that we have in Christ? That's that's a really great question. The fact is, is that God is, is sovereign over all. But in this world, he has allowed Satan to have dominion. Mm -hmm. he, Satan does have dominion here. Mm -hmm. he, he is able to operate. Right. He is not able to operate where God is. Right. He has no power there. Right. God is all powerful, but God also allows Satan to operate. If he didn't, then he wouldn't. Mm -hmm. You know, God could choose to say, "Hey, you, you know, you don't get to you don't get to operate here." Mm -hmm. But the garden happened, and and Satan is allowed to operate here. And there's a purpose to that, I believe. And we don't have to go deep into that. But we have to recognize that he does have power here. And so, yes, he, he can have power over you personally as you give in to him. But there are also things that can happen to you that you have absolutely no power over but that he instigated mm. um, and, th and that he is a part of because we live in a world in which we are not alone. There mm. are other people around us and they're making their choices too. And their choices have an impact on our lives. And that's a lot of where the shift came from as well. I, I talked in last time I was on, I talked about my father, you know, my mm. father was shot in an armed robbery. Eight years later, he was shot in a second armed robbery and he died that time. Now my father did absolutely nothing to cause that to happen. I did absolutely nothing to cause my father to be killed and to leave my life at a, at a really formative age. But it happened. And so why did it happen? Because evil exists. Because people can choose to do that. Because right. we do not yet live in the next world where Satan has no dominion. So we have to accept both things. We have to accept that God has all power. We have to also accept that Satan does have some power. And he is able to do some things here, now, for a purpose. He is allowed to do things. And, you know, and I don't know how deep you want to go into that, because I, I do have definitely, you know, I, I feel like I have a pretty good understanding of why he's allowed to do things. Actually, we have to. Talk to about that. <laughs> sure. OK, well, we, we can definitely talk about that. Yeah, I think that uh, I, you know, I think the shift largely if you if you're if you're vibing on its wavelength, I think I think the shift uh, is is talking a little bit about the why of that. Hmm. You know, we are we are here for a for a reason. Um, I believe our our biggest reason for being here on this planet at this time is to learn. Uh, that really is what it comes down to. We are here to learn to prepare ourselves 
to be ready for what awaits us in the next life mm. after this one. And we are here to learn the difference of good and evil, between good and evil. We are here to learn of how to choose good and what that is and what that means to be worthy of the blessings that await us in the next life. Mm. And so Satan is allowed to do what he does. Evil is allowed to exist so that that learning can take place, so that we can prove ourselves worthy and so that we can have the learnings that we need to be ready to enter heaven. I don't believe it's a simple matter of God just arbitrarily saying, okay, you get you get to go to heaven and you don't. You get to go here and you don't. You know, he's trying to prepare us so that we can endure that place. Mm. You know, have you ever walked into a room where you didn't feel like you belonged, whether they were dressed fancier than you or or they just were partying in a way that just didn't feel comfortable to you? Mm-hmm. We've all walked into rooms where we didn't feel like we belonged. I think that if everybody was permitted to just go to where God is now, Mm. there are a number of us that would run screaming the other way Mm. because it would be so deeply uncomfortable. We would have such a sense of, I do not belong here. Mm. Uh, I do not, I am not worthy of this. This is not where I belong. And we would run away. I, I think God is trying to prepare us to be with him. And the way that he does that is by giving us the experience that we need so that we can feel comfortable to be with him. I think that's what it comes down to. And Satan plays a role in that, whether he likes it or not. And one of the ideas that the film rounds up on is this idea that it doesn't matter how much Satan rails against us, how much evil we encounter. If we are looking for God, we will find him. And in fact, it is through the darkness that we can behold God even better. That's the point of it, is that we can perceive the light because we know the darkness mm. and we cannot perceive it's, 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 the, it's the rule of opposites. If you don't know what, what sadness is, you have no comprehension of happiness. If I do not know what evil is, I cannot comprehend what goodness is. I do, I do, not, I do not know what that is. I don't know how to operate within it. All of this is for, is for that reason. That's, that's how I see it. And I think that's a lot of what the shift is trying to say. That is beautiful. So Satan almost as a, as a tool of of God's pruning and and he is part of God making us more holy then. Yeah. Absolutely. And 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 he to a degree I have to think that he knows it and he's mm. frustrated by it. <laughs> um and I think part of his goal is is to blind us to that fact. Mm. He doesn't want us to see through that. Totally. And and a lot of people don't. A lot of people don't see it because yeah. all they can see is the darkness and they don't yeah. see the light that's right there in front of them right. all the time. Right. And when you do see the light in front of you, it's very difficult to be cynical because no matter how bad things get, you can always, always perceive that light. Mm. Yeah, it is something I think about a lot, just despair, because I've been there. And I think many, many Christians have Absolutely. been in that place where you're, you're just, I'll tell you right now, like I've been wrestling with the Lord because of my living situation and just feeling like, why did God allow this? Like, why, like, why on earth would God put me in this position? And very much feeling like the Lord invited it in. Like, when it began, it felt like a blessing. And then it's turned into this nightmare. And I've just been like, God, why would you let... And just last night, I was talking to a friend. And I was saying to her, like, I'm waiting, kind of like, Lord, is this going to turn around in a way? Or is this just what it is going to be? And she was like, yeah, it's kind of that question of, is this some twist plan of the Lord where you're going to perceive the blessing in it? Or is it a Job situation? And she said this to mm-hmm. me last night. You know, is it just that this is what God is allowing for your development? Which, it's crazy timing, because I know there's Job-like elements to the story. So for mm-hmm. Job and for your protagonist, 
what on earth is that? Like, why does God sometimes just allow these horrible things to happen? And there's no resolution that we can perceive. Right, right. So I think that there's a lot of different reasons. I mean, look, I, I'm not going to have a definitive answer for you, but I do think that I think it does come down to to the idea of profit and learning. It's for our profit and for our learning. And I do believe that even if we can't understand it in the moment, I think eventually it, it does make sense. And I think sometimes, sometimes we experience things for other people to profit and to learn. Yeah. You know, I, I, the Job is, I've, I've heard it written, it, it's theorized anyway, that Job is the oldest book in the Bible in terms of when it was mm -hmm. written. And so it's this ancient story of this man going through this, this thing. And at the end, and, and it's like, why did he go through that? He was righteous when, it, when the thing started. Mm -hmm. He was righteous by the end of it. You know, did did Job really learn all that much? And um, and I and I think I think he did. Job forty two five says, um, and I'm terrible at quoting, so I'm not going to get this right, but I'm going to try to sum it up as best as I can. It's in the movie, actually. We quote this this verse at the end of the movie. I, I had heard you with my ears, but now I see you with my eyes. Mm -hmm. Is basically, and so what Job is speaking to there is he's saying, you know, as as good as 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 good as I thought we were, I was with God. I, I, there, there's a closeness that he achieves with God by the end of that. Like he yeah. heard him with his ears, but now he sees him with his eyes. To me, that's somebody who, who, yeah, he was listening to God and he was doing what he was supposed to do. But because of this experience, now he's drawn even closer to him. And that closeness is only going to benefit him. And it does benefit him. We see, we see Job receive many, many more blessings because of what he goes through. But also I just, I just imagine Job going into the next life, and now he's just that much stronger of a person. He's learned just that much more. Why would he need to learn that much more? Why would he need to be that much more close to God? I don't know. But I think that's one answer, is mm -hmm. that Job did personally benefit. I think the other side of that is what I, is what I just said earlier, which is that now how many people through the ages have learned from Job, have taken the lessons in that book and what he went through, and, mm -hmm. and have had debates and, and incredible discussions, like so many millions of people have benefited from the story of Job. Beyond his benefit, we have benefited. Mm -hmm. I, I compare that to, to my father. You know, his story, what he went through, I've been able to share that. Not only have I been able to share that with people like you on podcasts, but I've also written a book about it. And I, I've talked to many people who have read that book and who have genuinely been changed by it. There's purpose in the suffering that we endure that goes beyond ourselves and it reaches to the people around us. So I think if you start looking at it that way, you realize that God is trying to weave this tapestry hmm. uh, between all of us. He's giving us these experiences, not only for our benefit, but so that others can benefit as well. And if we could see the whole picture, I'm sure a lot of things that, that seem unjust and unfair would make sense, would make much more sense if we could see as he does. And so that's where faith comes in. We, we trust that his ways are higher than our ways. That's why we trust, because he can see better than us. And I think that a lot of these questions that we have about why things were the way that they were, why you're going through the difficulty that you're having with your housing situation, yeah. you know, one day perhaps you'll look back on it like I do with my job loss situation, where I was out of work for four to five years, and I didn't know why. But had that not happened, I never would have made this movie. And so mm -hmm. I look back and I can see very clearly why that happened. During those four or five years, I just thought, what in the world did I do to deserve yeah, this? Right. <laughs> and why is this happening? Yeah. I have kids to feed, mm. you know? But looking back, I wouldn't trade that experience. As miserable and as difficult as it was, I wouldn't trade it because it got me to where I am today. So I think there's just lots of different reasons that things like this happen. And mm. and and I don't have the definitive answer, but I can at least look at those things and I can say, okay, I, I think this makes sense to me.
Yeah. But ultimately, I trust God. Right, right. Which, of course, is predicated on your knowledge of God's character. Right. So I'm curious about God as a character in the shift. Like, what elements mm-hmm. of God's character did you feel were most important to feature? And how on earth do you even make God a character in a film? <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's an interesting question. One of the objections that we've gotten from people, because they come into the shift thinking that it's going to be a retelling of the story of Job. And people don't really understand what the word retelling means. <laughs> retelling does not mean to tell the same story beat for beat. Retelling actually means to tell differently. The shift is a retelling of the story of Job in the sense that we're taking Job and we're doing it differently. But really, more accurately, I say it's inspired by the story of Job. And so in, in the story of Job, Job actually talks with God. In the shift, that doesn't happen. We see Kevin praying, and so in that sense, he's talking to God. But we never hear God's like voice in terms of like, here are words that God said. Like mm-hmm. That doesn't happen. That would get, I think on film, you get into some pretty ridiculous territory if you start trying to actually personify God in that way. It's just, it's beyond my skill to do that in a way that people aren't going to laugh at it or make mm-hmm. it cheesy. Mm-hmm. So the way that I see the voice of God, and I believe that there's biblical backing for this, Satan screams, God whispers. That mm-hmm. was kind of how I approached the God and, and, and Satan relationship with Kevin, because Kevin is constantly being pulled by the benefactor, our Satan character, and by God. Mm-hmm. And Satan, the benefactor, I think has more dialogue than anybody else in the movie. And mm-hmm. often, and, and sometimes he is yelling, you know, he's, he's very verbose. He's constantly in, in Kevin's face. Sometimes he's screaming in Kevin's face and God doesn't say a word, not one word in the whole movie, but he's there. And by the end of the movie, Kevin sees that. And so God is a whisper. God approaches us as a whisper. He doesn't, he, he's not like Satan where he's got to be loud about it. The world right. is loud. And God doesn't do that. God approaches us quietly. And he asks us to come to him reverently. And if we can do that, it's far more powerful. It's, it's like the little dog that yaps, right? The little dog with, with the big bark. Mm. You know, it, 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 the, the, the little dog barks like crazy because he knows he doesn't have any real power. That's how I see Satan. God is the big dog who can just sit there and 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 just and just stare you down and it doesn't have to doesn't have to demonstrate right its power it, it knows what it can do it know that the big dog knows it can rip you in half if it wants to and it doesn't <laughs> need to do that yeah um and so that's that's kind of how that's how i embodied god as a as a character and he is very much a character even though he doesn't say a word and even though mm-hmm. he doesn't appear he's very much a character but that's that's if you're looking for god in the shift look for him as a whisper mm. And in your life, as you said, so that's yeah poignant because it's it's very true. I've had a number of conversations because of this ministry and the way that these stories are often told. And I think in some ways I've been part of the problem telling stories that are dramatic where there's this, you know, moment with the Lord and then things change. And I've had mm-hmm. conversations with people who are doubters, whether they're believers or not, who are kind of like, I've asked God to show up for me and he hasn't. And what they're looking for is a thud a thunderclap you know and i agree with you and that god is often like hey yeah hey like a a friend you you know you haven't spoken to in a long time who maybe just like kind of likes an instagram pic something like that where it's like this very gentle like i'm still here and i would love to connect with you and he's waiting he's waiting on you so yeah i had a moment like that during the development of the film when things were really really tough and a friend 
texted me in reference to something completely different. It was a, it was it was a moment of real deep struggle where I just was like where things were not going well with the film. I had a lot of investors already, and so I felt all this pressure, and I couldn't make things happen. And it was it was a really dark period. Making making a movie is almost impossible. It's a miracle anything mm-hmm. ever happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so there's been some of the biggest trials of my life have come as a result of this film. And a friend texted me out of the blue, just one line, I haven't forgotten about you. Mm-hmm. And that was in a moment when I was literally thinking, has God forgotten me? You know, and my friend wasn't, my friend is not God. <laughs> my yeah. friend was not intending to speak for God. Right. He wasn't even referencing, referencing something totally different. But just that one sentence, I haven't forgotten about you. I just, to me, it was like, okay, to me, that was God whispering through my friend. That's really what it was. Powerful. Well, let's talk about these trials. What on earth went down? So when we (laughs) talked in 2021, you're raising funds. I don't believe you'd started production. What was the journey from, okay, hey, Angel, we're partnered to casting, which, I mean, because the thing is, if anyone looked at your website or looked at the, the, page where you can watch it they would never think that you had any trouble you have dallas jenkins director (laughs) creator of chosen attached you have the woman who plays mary magdalene on the chosen playing one of your like you have all these major names connected to this project right what were the troubles along the way well of course there was there was a time when those major names weren't attached to the project you know so getting to that point um was a journey and there's some of what happened i can't really talk about publicly it's it's both too personal and 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 wrapped up in other things but the shift is a lot more than just a movie to me it's it's a personal journey and a personal expression in order to make this movie i had to make a decision to put my family at risk because it required a degree of dedication for me that meant for for a while not not really working a nine to five, which is what I had done for 15 years to support my family. And I made a decision to to put everything I had in, in, into this and make it a full-time thing. And look, if you were to take the number of hours that I've put into the shift and divide it by how much I've been paid to do it, um, it wouldn't even be minimum wage. Like it wouldn't even be close to that. Mm-hmm. Um I, I sacrificed a lot to bring this movie to the screen. And I asked a lot of my family to go on this ride with me. And you have a wife and, and how many, how many children? We have three girls. Yeah. So um, maintaining that faith for so many years, because it was a struggle before we had our uh, Mary, Ma- uh, uh, sorry, Elizabeth Tavish mm-hmm. plays Mary Magdalene on The Chosen. She was the first person we cast, but she wasn't cast until... Uh, four months before we started shooting, wow. you know, and, and it was about five years to get to that point. So, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of these, you look at it now and yeah, it's easy to look at it and say, well, gosh, you guys had everything going for you. But, but for a long time, I didn't for a long time. I, I mean, just as something as simple as convincing people that this was a worthy story to be told. Mm-hmm. This is, this is, yes, it's inspired by the book of Job, but it's not based on a comic or a TV show or a, mm-hmm. or a book that you can buy on Amazon. This is a whole new story, mixing genres that nobody's ever really mixed before. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was a there was a lot of battles to get to this point. A lot of being told that I'm blasphemous. A lot of being told that I'm going to hell. A lot of being what? told, look, people have their opinions. You start messing with people's faith, at least in their perception, you're messing with their faith. They have their objections. And Christians, paradoxically, can be very, very unkind. Yeah, Very oh, unkind. Yeah. As soon as you start doing something where people feel like it's going against their faith, they really feel like they have carte blanche to 
to say anything that they want mm -hmm. sometimes when they feel like they're on a righteous cause. It's really unfortunate, but it happens. And it's, look, it's fine. It's happened to Dallas as well on The Chosen. He's constantly oh. Oh, being yeah. criticized. You know, I've, I've had a lot of those criticisms too. And, and in some ways, that's the least of it. I mean, just the financial stress on my family mm -hmm. um, and just trying to maintain the belief that it's going to happen, that this is all going to work out when most movies don't. Most mm -hmm. movies don't succeed. Mm -hmm. Most filmmakers don't get to to direct a film, you know. So, yeah, I mean, I, mean, I, I can't go, like I said, I can't go into too many details, but you can imagine going years without pulling in a real paycheck and just going on faith that you're going to be able to do this thing that you've never done before and that somehow that's going to work out. Mm -hmm. um, that's exactly that's a long haul. Yep. Yeah, you know, I know you know what I'm talking about. I sure do. And this is could not be more timely for me because it's it's similar. First time filmmaker, first time screenwriter. And the benefactor, I guess, is whispering in my ear sometimes. Just like, who do you think you are? Like, truly, like, right. what, what makes you think that you're capable of doing this? And so my question for you is, what have you been holding on to? Like, you say faith, but is there anything in, yeah. in particular? That, like, has there been a vision from the Lord? Like, what made you sure that this was part of God's will for your life? Yeah, it's a great question. So my wife and I got fired within 24 hours of each other Whoa. in 2014, August 2014. And uh, I had had a 15-year career as a graphic artist and, and an art director. That's what I got. I went to college for that. So my degree is in graphic design. And I thought that's what I was going to be doing the rest of my life. And, you know, as soon as you lose a job, you go out and try to find a new one. Wasn't happening. Interview after interview, I was always the number two pick. And I just couldn't get a new job. Months went by. Our savings are dwindling down to zero. And then I get approached by a local film production company who had a movie coming out from Warner Brothers. Very small horror film, low-budget horror film that they'd made. They got picked up by Warner Brothers and Blumhouse and was going out like worldwide. Pretty incredible story. These guys did an amazing thing. They wanted to tell more stories, and they knew I was a writer. And so they approached me, and they said, hey, look, why don't you come and play with us? And it really was play because they were very honest, and they said, look, we don't have any money. You know, we're just we're just two guys. We got lucky and and we want to do more things. But right now, there's no money to pay you. Take a leap of faith with us and let's see what we can do together. And up to that point, I had never considered getting into the film industry at all. Was never a thought in my mind. I love movies. I'd always studied how they were made. I'd listened to DVD commentaries at work constantly over and over again, just because I'm fascinated and I love movies but not because I ever thought I'd be able to get into them. That just didn't seem like a path that was available to me. So I never even thought about it. So I brought this to my wife and she looked at me like I was nuts because I was essentially saying, I know I've been out of work for all this time and you have been too. And now I'm going to be out of work for even longer and a bonus, I won't be making any money. So we agreed together like, okay, you know, this is an opportunity. It seems crazy, but let's pray about it. And so we did, we prayed for a month and we came back together after one month. And my wife looked at me and she said, what answer did you get? And I said, well, as crazy as this sounds, I think I'm supposed to do this. And she said, as crazy as this sounds, that's the same answer I got. So that happened in early 2015. We are now in early 2024. It's been nine years since that prayer. Mm -hmm. And there have been more moments to doubt that than I would care to admit since in the intervening time. I've had every reason to doubt that answer to prayer. Mm. What I have been holding on to is that when God speaks to me and I believe it, then I don't forget it. I remember 
when he spoke to me mm -hmm. and I and I and I don't give that up. I am loyal to God. I am loyal to when he blesses me with a revelation like that. I believe that we are all able to receive personal revelation. And if I believe that God exists and I believe that he speaks to me, which I do, and I believe that that was an answer to prayer, to sincere prayer, and wasn't just a lark, then I have to hold true to that. And so that's what I've been holding on to all this time, is that either, either I believe that he speaks to me or he doesn't. Mm. And to deny that answer to prayer... Yeah would have meant denying all the other answers to prayer that I had mm -hmm. received, would have mm -hmm. meant denying the testimony that I have in him, would have meant denying the night that my father was killed and the love and light of God entered into me and allowed me to forgive the men who killed him. Yeah. It would have meant denying the moment when I was 18 years old after years of struggling to know if he was real and he made himself known to me the same way he made himself known to Peter by the power of the Holy Ghost, I understood the reality of God. I had a moment where I came to understand the reality of God at 18. I would have had to deny that if I were to deny this answer to prayer. Yeah. And so that's what I held on to. You have taken us to church. <laughs> you have taken us to church because that is a fact. And there have been things that the Lord has told me where I've had people, of course, I'm sure you had also people trying to you know, well-meaning trying to speak, they would say speak truth or speak what, like reason, you know, mm -hmm. yeah, come on, bro. If you have a family, like get back to, it. you know, I've had people try yeah. to speak reason to me about things that I know the Lord has told me. And what I've told them is like, but it's the same voice that said all these other things. It's the right. same person who said it. So either I believe God, when you said that I got chills because it's like, you either believe God or you don't, you either believe that he spoke or he did not. And it really mm -hmm. is, it is a question of loyalty. And I'm so grateful that this interview is happening now because it's amazing to see the fruit of that labor of, of you mm -hmm. just, not just the labor, your hands and the work you, that you've put into this film, but God blessing your faithfulness. Because obviously this project is, is bigger than you. And there's reason that God anointed you in 10 years. I'm so curious to see the stories of people who've come to faith because of this project and, you know, marriage is saved because of this project. It's just fascinating. I've think. heard many of those stories already. I can tell really? you, you know, oh yeah. In fact, just last week, one of the heads of the, of the of Angel Studios uh, called me just out of the blue. And he's like, I just heard the most incredible story. I just talked to a couple who um, said that the shift is one of their favorite movies and, and that it saved their marriage. Wow. Literally what you just said is, is happening. Wow. I wonder what part of the story, I mean, did, did he go into detail, like what part of the story? Yeah, I asked him that same question. I was like, oh, I wonder what it was. And he's like, they didn't say, but but wow. they were just, they were just, yeah, really excited to share that. Wow. Thank you for sharing the, the background of all of that, because there's so, there's so much warfare when someone is stepping out in faith and doing something that makes no sense. I think the enemy was probably shaking yeah. in his boots when God spoke that to you and you decided to hold firm. Do you consider it warfare? these battles that you went through to make this happen? Um, I never think of it in, in, in that term. Um, honestly, the, the term spiritual warfare has not really been in my lexicon until recently, you know, as mm -hmm. I've been making this film. And a lot of people have looked at it and said, oh, that's spiritual warfare is what you're writing about there. And I'm <laughs> like, oh, that's interesting. Tell me about that term. That's just, for whatever reason, where I am, the church I attend, that's just not, just not mm -hmm. a term that we use. But I, but I recognize, but, but as far as my understanding of that term goes and what that means, 
Yeah, I would say I would say that's very much what's been going on. Look, you don't, as my wife says, maybe on the next movie we don't make it about Satan. <laughs> maybe we don't. Maybe we don't poke that bear on the next one. As you can imagine, um, when you're trying to expose the enemy, um, he doesn't mm -hmm. he doesn't necessarily like that. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think I think yeah I think it's fair to say some of the challenges that we've met with have been because we were yeah we were trying to do something that uh, trying trying to mess with something that doesn't necessarily want to be messed with. So. Absolutely, yeah. So do you have dreams already for what's next, or is it a long sabbatical? <laughs> Recovery. No, no, I, I look, I wanted to be ready for this moment. So I took the opportunity uh, about a year and a half ago to write another script. So oh, I have a, another, another one all ready to go. And, um, um, my producer on the, my incredible producer on the shift, Ken Carpenter and I, we are currently trying to, to mount, uh, another film up. It's not, it doesn't have to do with the shift. It's, it is, it is in the realm of science fiction again, and it is, it is dealing with faith again. Um, but yeah, that's something that we're working on right now. What do you see on the horizon for the industry as a whole? Do you think that there, I mean, for lack of a better word, there's a shift <laughs> happening? <laughs> you know, clearly audiences are becoming more comfortable with different genres because of things mm -hmm. like the shift. Do you feel that there's going to be a general change in what people expect when they go to the theater as Christians? I think I think what you're seeing right now more than anything maybe isn't a call for new genres as much as as because I when I see a lot on the horizon I see a lot of true stories hmm. that seems to be the overarch that seems to be most of what's ahead of us almost every single film I can think of that's dealing with faith that's coming out in the near future and I'm talking about the next couple of years that I'm aware of are all based on a true story mm -hmm. I feel like a little bit of an outlier in that way I belong to this community of filmmakers. And I feel very welcomed by them, but I also recognize that what I'm doing is kind of it's I'm, I'm kind of operating in my own little corner over here, yeah. you know, trying to do these these fictional original stories. And look, Hollywood in general right now is not very friendly to original stories. Mm. Um, almost every single movie you see right now, whether you're aware of it or not, is based on a book. Very, very few are just like, OK, this is this is unique to the screen. You know, my, my real dream is, is that there are kids coming kids, I say kids, it could be very young kids, it could be teenagers who were watching the shift and and are inspired by it and 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 they're thinking about how they're gonna handle faith and in, in their movies that they make later on. And maybe maybe I've given them a little bit more permission to be a little bit more adventurous. I think that's what we do as filmmakers is that every movie we come out that that comes out that pushes against what is expected just gives permission to future generations to try something else yeah. that that's new and different. And so I hope to see that happen. But I think really what you're seeing right now, more than anything, this outside of genre, is you're seeing a leveling up in terms of the production values and in terms of the talent that we're able to attract to these films. Mm -hmm. um, you're seeing a lot of actors who are much, a lot of accomplished actors who are much more open to coming into films that that deal with faith openly. Mm -hmm. A mm -hmm. great example is opening this this weekend, which is Ordinary Angels with Hilary Swank, you know, two-time Oscar winner. And uh, it's I actually saw a preview of the movie a few weeks ago. It's an excellent, excellent film. And she's amazing in it. Uh, you know, we get we get more Hillary Swanks in, in these movies and mm -hmm. and we keep these production budgets up and, and we keep that production value going. I think you're going to see a, a real change. I think that's a change that's already happening. I think I think that's good because as that happens, it's that's what audiences are going to get used to. Right. You know, I think 10 years ago, audiences were used to I go to a faith film. It's going to be made for a nickel. Now they're going and, and it's looking 
beautiful and it's looking comparable to you know it doesn't have the, the budget of a marvel movie but it's but it's but within the space it's operating it's looking comparable to that yeah um and so that's what people are going to come to expect and i think that's a good thing very much a good thing yeah i'm excited for non-christians to be attracted to a faith-based film because it's a good film just mm -hmm. because it's a good story and i feel right. like the shift is one of those for sure where it's not as i said at the top like it, it's not preachy you don't know how it's going to end just because it's a christian story and it's going to have a happy ending. right you don't you don't know what's coming and and i don't know if you were the one who said this actually it was a while ago on the show it might have been you someone said they're talking about the beauty of film and how an audience their guard is down much more so than the reading an article or a book or listening to a podcast mm -hmm. where it's obvious the person has an agenda and they have a message that they want you to swallow. Right. Whereas with the film, someone is going in to be entertained. You have much more leeway. So I'm grateful for filmmakers who see it as a ministry. It, it's been a personal project for you. It's something that yeah. where God has massively worked in your life. And so it's inevitable that he's going to work massively in the lives of the viewers. So Yeah, absolutely. But I will say this. I'll say that um, even if I see making um, movies, which I do as something that I've been called to, and I'm trying to fulfill what God has asked me to do. And if you want to call that a ministry, then that's fine. But when it comes to actually making the film, ministry is set aside mm. because we have to entertain. Mm -hmm. We have to entertain people. We have to make something that is a piece of entertainment because if it is not that first, who the heck cares what else it's doing? Mm -hmm. Nobody. Mm -hmm. Nobody cares. Maybe, maybe the grandma's at church. <laughs> okay. Maybe yeah. you'll capture them. But I'm looking for people that, that, that are different than that. Totally. I'm looking for people who are more like me, who, you know, there are a lot of trailers for films that deal with faith that I see that I'm, I'm like, oh, I'm not even going to watch that movie. Mm -hmm. like, I can tell that's going to be a preach fest. Yep. Like, it's just not what I'm attracted to. Yep. So I think as filmmakers, our first job is to entertain and then I think if we're true to who we are and we're true to, you know, what we believe, the faith aspect or the ministry aspect, whatever you want to call that, that's just going to emerge naturally. But mm -hmm. that's what it has to be. We have to lead with entertainment and with story and with character and with plot. Um, sorry about my dogs. We have to lead with that and let everything else be secondary to that, because otherwise you'll accomplish neither. Mm. I, I, that's my own personal philosophy when it comes to this stuff. Absolutely. You are encouraging me to lean more into because I've with this film that we're working on, I want it to be a horror film, which a lot mm -hmm. of Christians have been like very weirded out by. But honestly, this is very encouraging because that's how I felt. I'm like, it has to be entertaining because, you know, it is in some ways the plot itself is preachy. It's about an alcoholic who's delivered and she literally was like throwing up these demons and there are all these voices coming out of her and like all that. So, you know, it is inherently a testimony and in that way appreciation you know she has a moment where she lays her hands on the bible and promises god she's done with alcohol and all that that very much really happened and because of that in large part i'm like this has to be a horror film mm -hmm. there's no other way to tell the story without it being scary like it has to be right. spooky and it has to stand on its own mm -hmm. it's tough because i'm like i've very much been like i am not gonna be able to please everyone that's just life i'm not gonna no. i'm gonna piss off christians and honestly maybe that is an indicator that what I'm doing is right. <laughs> it sounds <laughs> like you, you know. I've pissed off a lot of people and yeah. uh you know and that's that's okay. That's okay because I look at it this way. You know, not every movie's for everybody. And there have been a lot of movies that have dealt with Christianity and with faith that have not been for me. So I made the shift, which is for people like me, people who are looking for something different. And the movie that you're describing, 
yeah, it's not going to be for the grandmas at church. But I bet there's a lot of people who have a Christian faith who have avoided every other movie that they've seen, but they'll see yours because it's like, oh, well, that's speaking, you know, that's that's in a genre that I'm excited about. And that's that's how I approach the shift is that I just figured there had to be other people out there who like science fiction. Why why wouldn't they want to see this movie? Of right. course they would, because I want to. And so there has to be other people like me. And there's got to be other people like you. Yeah. Thank you, Barack. You're a legend. I know you know that. Oh, I am definitely not that, but I Okay. <laughs> I but thank you, you for the sentiment. <laughs> You're a legend. Thank you so much. This was once again, I mean, your first interview, I cried. This interview, I'm probably going to go curl up and cry. So thank you. <laughs> this is super encouraging, honestly. And I hope it's encouraging Good. to the listener. And as I said at the top, everyone needs to go check out The Shift. Seriously. You will love it. Your grandma might not love it. You will love it. Your cousins will love it. You can watch it together. <laughs> <laughs> hey, lots of grandmas love it too. I can testify to that. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's really weird. I, the other day I came up with this phrase that the shift is a Rorschach test, but I don't know for what, <laughs> because everybody sees it differently. It is impossible to predict who is going to enjoy the shift. It really is. So I don't know you listening. I don't know if the movie is for you. I know it's for more people than it isn't. So give it a chance. And if it is for you, I promise you're going to have an incredible experience because because I've seen it. I've seen I've seen what it does to audiences. I've seen the people weeping. Mm. I've seen the people moved. I've seen the marriages saved. And not every movie is for everybody, but some movies have real power to them. And I, I would submit humbly that that the shift is one of those. Amen. So proud. Very, very proud. It's been awesome to watch this unfold. So I'm excited to see what's next. Me too. I don't know if you can. Can you tell me what it is? You've told me a little bit. Yeah, I can tell you a little bit. Um, the name of the movie is Glide. Basically, uh, there's a technology that exists in the world um, that is that is not a technology that is that is that we have. It's a little bit more advanced, and it's about um, the creator of that technology and how he disappears, and how he is found by a reporter. And both of these these men are dealing with um, some trauma in their lives some mistakes that they've made. And ultimately, the, it is a film um, that is about forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And it's wrapped up in this, in this, in this sci-fi world that's, a, that's pretty much the same as our world, except for this one technology that exists. That's about as vague as I can be. Okay. <laughs> I, I gotta be, I like to be vague at the very early stages like yeah, this. Yeah. As, as we roll it out, hopefully, hopefully here in the next, in the next year, um, there'll be a lot more that you'll be able to discover oh, cool. about Glide. Did you see Oppenheimer? I did see Oppenheimer. Did you like it? Film. Okay, I yeah. loved it. Something about what it. you were describing reminded me so much of Oppenheimer. Just I, I oh, loved the someone created something. You didn't say that it was necessarily nefarious. I, I've, I've thought a lot about like transhumanism and just like a lot of what's coming and you know this technology mm-hmm. that's being created and someone kind of like reflecting on what they've created that has become much bigger than them. I don't know that we go into that direction. It's not. It's not. It's not a dark technology, but okay, it does. Okay. It does change things a little bit. Yeah. It's. I'll be curious. Well, I'll have to come back once. Yeah. Once that's. Once that's kind of out there a little bit more. Maybe I can come back and we can talk about it. I'd love to. Love to see what you think about it. Totally. Thank you so much, Brock. Thank you. This was really fun. I enjoyed it. I'm glad. All right. Well, I will stay in touch, and I'm excited to get my return on my investment. <laughs> <laughs> yes be looking for a communication about that um Amazing. soon i won't promise a return right now but okay. but there's at least going to be some information about that oh there goes my cat all right oh hello Niles. thank you brock oh he's all right do you hear that 
Yeah, I do. <laughs> He's like, it's dinner time. Okay. Yep. Talk to you soon. All right. Talk All to right. you. Bye. Bye-bye.